8, Genesis chapter 8. So I guess over the um, past three or four years, um, we've seen so many countries throughout the world with a sort of a seeming, you know, a, a seeming desire to end old ways and have new chapters begun. In so many countries throughout the world, we've kind of seen a desire for new beginnings, haven't we? In Brazil, we've seen uh, demonstrations up and down the country. Um, in many parts of the Eurozone too, we've seen that. And I guess the, the, the most obvious example is the sort of desire for a fresh start in parts of the Middle East in what we call the, the Arab Spring. But the truth of the matter, I suppose, is that in most of these cases, regardless of how much people want it, regardless of how much the population wants it, there haven't been all that many successful, positive new starts. You know, there's been a a desire for change, we've seen that, but it's not really all that often been accompanied by the reality of change. Well, as we turn to our Bibles just now, and we look to Genesis 8, that is exactly what we do see happening here, isn't it? Because Genesis 8 is where the old ways end. Genesis 8 is where the the post-flood earth begins. Genesis 8 is where, through Noah, mankind and humanity is given a new beginning. That's what we've got, folks. We've got a new beginning. And as we consider this chapter just now, what we're going to do together is, God willing, we're going to explore uh, three points together. We're going to have a look at three headings. Three headings. And as we begin, well, let's begin and let's address the first of those. So the first heading this morning is this. Point one. Patient waiting on the Lord. Patient waiting on the Lord. Now, folks, do you know the name of um, Adoniram Judson? I don't even know if that's how his name is pronounced. Let's go for that. Adoniram Judson is not the sort of name that you would forget if you've heard it. Now, Judson was the very first American missionary to go out to the country of Burma. So we're talking a long time ago. And Judson went out there with, you know, with goals, with pretty specific goals. You know, he wanted to win souls for Jesus Christ, but he also kind of went out of Burma with this goal of starting a church or having a church of about 100 people. That was his goal. So what happened? I'll tell you. Nothing really happened. Seven full years went by and he saw hardly any spiritual change whatsoever. Not a convert, you know. Seven full years and there was no fruit from his labours. And through correspondence, what Judson found out was that the people back home in the States, well, they were getting a wee bit edgy about this. You know, They were getting a wee bit impatient. 
What was this boy Judson doing out in Burma? How come seven years later there wasn't any fruit? So what Judson did was he wrote home, he wrote back to his supporters, and he pleaded with them. He said, don't give up. He said, be patient. Trust and wait. Wait on the Lord. And in that seventh year, from that point on, Judson saw conversion after conversion after conversion. And as we look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 8, and and we see Noah, and we see him waiting on the ark, and we see him waiting for this water to recede, what do we see? We see another faithful display of patience, don't we? Think about Noah on the ark. It's another man waiting on the Lord. And consider firstly here, if you would, that Noah's patience, this patience that he displays, is patience over a sustained period, isn't it? It's incredible patience. It's patience over a long time. See, think about it. You know, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 8, Noah has already been on the ark for a long time. Even when we start the chapter in the beginning. He's been, you know, even before these waters recede, he's been in that difficult situation of, let's face it, a dark, pretty noisy, and pretty smelly ark. He's been in there for a long, long time. And then... Even when the waters start to go down, did you notice it it happens so incredibly slowly, doesn't it? It's almost like, you know, the chapter, the beginning of the chapter is almost like it's in slow motion. You know, it's it's totally different to how the, the waters, how the flood came. And we saw that last week. Do you remember that? The waters came, it was like a flash flood. You know, and, and, and in just 40 days, the, the, the earth has been flooded. Well, look at this. Look at how it's described here. The subsiding of the waters is described, what's the word? Steadily dispersed. You know, it's the same word as little by little. It, it subsided ever so slowly here. And then even after that, even, okay, even when the waters are going down, look at what happens. We come to this strange pause in the narrative. Don't we? There's this unusual interruption as the ark becomes stuck. It becomes lodged at the top of a mountain. You see the emphasis of the first section? It's it's all so sustained and drawn out and protracted. This takes ages. This takes about a year. A year for Noah to get off the ark. And folks, what I'd ask you to do is I would ask you to just try and imagine what what that would be like, you know? Imagine what it would be like in the ark as they waited. You know, day after day after day. And, you know, at the start, the the waters would have receded so slowly here that 
Perhaps Noah and his family didn't even know that they were going down. There would have been immense uncertainty aboard the ark, wouldn't there? And these would be people who would be desperate to hear from God as well. You know, God has spoken to Noah so many times leading up to the flood. We don't hear any word from God to Noah when he's on the ark. These would be people who would be just desperate to see see God act in clarity and act in the power that they'd seen previously. And folks, how often it is in the Christian life that we feel like that, isn't it? And, you know, for all I know, that might be the situation of some of you in here this morning. You know, that situation where you feel that your life has run aground. You know, that situation where you feel stuck. That situation where you feel that sort of overwhelming sense of uncertainty. This uncertainty in your life that just keeps dragging on and on and on. Is that where you're at? Does that sound familiar? If it does, think about a second thing here about this patience. Because it's not just patience that goes on over a sustained period. It's a patience that Noah has that sought guidance. It's a patience that sought guidance. Okay, let me take you back to Judson. Adoniram Judson in Burma all those years ago. You see, Judson didn't just go out and speak to a few people in Burma and tell them the gospel and then go back home to his sort of Burmese house and chill out and uh, wait for God to do his work. He didn't do that. You know, even in, the, even in the times where God seemed really distant to Judson, the times where he was uncertain, do you know what he did? He went back out and he spoke to those same people he'd already spoke to. He spoke to new people as well. The point... The point is that it wasn't inactive waiting on God. It wasn't inactive waiting. And it's, and it's the same with Noah. You know, in the ark, Noah doesn't just sort of find a desk and stick his feet up on the desk and just, you know, chill out through all of this and, and wait, for, wait for God to do his work. He doesn't do that. He acts, doesn't he? You know, he... He trusted in God's deliverance, so he sought guidance from the Lord, and he sent out these birds, didn't he? He sent out a a, a dove, and he sent out a raven. And folks, I would say to you this morning that it has to be, that has to be the same with us. You know, ours must not be an inactive waiting an inactive waiting for God. You know, we've got to consider what Noah did here. What did he do? He waited patiently and he sent out bird after bird after bird. What should we do 
in the uncertainty of your life, what what should you do? You should wait patiently in God and you should send out prayer after prayer after prayer seeking guidance from him. And if you do that, what will happen? What will happen? Well, what happens in, 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 in Genesis chapter 8? All Noah's patience is rewarded, isn't it? It's all rewarded. You know, imagine you're on that ark and you've been on there for, like, you know, for ages, month after month, and you, know, you see the mountaintop arise out of the, the, the water. Can you imagine the joy of that? And then look at this, you know. We've got the situation of that dove eventually coming back and coming back with an olive leaf in its mouth. Friend, regardless of how stuck you feel this morning, regardless of how uncertain things are, I'd say to you just now, be patient, okay? Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Because it might take a long time and it might feel as though you're running aground. But if you lean on God, then the waters will recede. They will. They will recede. And eventually, an olive leaf will appear. So our first point is that there has to be patient waiting on the Lord. Patient waiting on the Lord. Okay, so my wife and I uh, were talking recently about how we got engaged. And uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but um, I proposed to my wife in Scotland on a beach. And uh, thankfully she smiled and uh, she she said yes, thankfully. And uh, after it happened, you know, we were both just, you know, it's amazing. We were both just so excited about the whole thing. And we just wanted to go out and tell people, you know, just tell anyone we could. We'd had this sort of happy moment, this happy occasion. And it was accompanied by that, you know, spontaneous desire, that spontaneous outpouring because of it. And really that's what we see at the end of this chapter in Genesis chapter 8. Because there's been this great moment. Noah coming out of the ark. You know? A fantastic, joyous moment. But it's accompanied by something. It's accompanied by this spontaneous response from Noah. So our second point is the prompt worship of God. The prompt worship of God. Look what happens here, okay? Please just consider what Noah does when he comes out the ark. He comes out, exits the ark, and what are we told in verse 20? He comes out, do you see it? Comes out the ark, then Noah builds an altar to the Lord. He builds an altar. And that seems to be a sort of an immediate response to coming out of the ark. God calls him out. And then what we're told? Then, then Noah builds an ark. This first recorded 
building of an altar in Scripture is also Noah's first recorded act on dry land. He comes out of the ark and he builds. He comes out of the ark and he worships. But can I ask you, why do you think that was? You might think, oh, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, He's worshipping God. That's a good thing to do. Yeah, I know it is. But why here and now? What was Noah's, think about it, what was Noah's motivation for worship here? Well, he's just been saved, hasn't he? You know, he and his family have just been saved from that flood. They've been saved from uh, the the judgment of God by, by God's undeserved grace. So why does he worship at this point? Friends, it is out of gratitude. He worships God because he is thankful for his deliverance. Now, what do you think? Do you think the same could be said of us, this group of people, this morning? In church this morning, have we gathered in gratitude? Have we gathered in thankfulness? You know, how do we begin our services? What happens? Well, we, we come through the fancy doors and we sit down here and then what happens? We have a, a call to worship and then we sing, don't we? We start, what sound do we start with? Psalm 130. Now, when you were singing that, what was going on? Really, what was going on? Was that sincere, as you sang those words of of that psalm, was that sort of sincere worship? Or was it more just a, a, a vacuous routine? Was that just a ritual that you're observing? Well, friends, everything in our life, everything should be a response of gratitude to God. But that should be especially the case when we, when we come in here and when we gather as a church. You know, everything that we do in this place Sunday by Sunday, you know, when we sing and when we pray, when we listen to God's word, everything should be, a, 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 it should come from a, a heart of worship, a heart that, that, that is full of thankfulness to God. I mean, he saved us. You know, through the death of his own beloved son, we are redeemed. And ours should be worship. And it should be worship of gratitude. Now, when um, Catherine and I did get into town after getting engaged, and we went to to see our friends and tell them the good news. Um, what happened was a bit of a surprise because we sat them down and we told them what had happened. We told them that we were engaged and nobody reacted. And uh, everyone just sort of looked at us blankly and sort of stared. 
And it wasn't for a few minutes that I worked out why that was. And I, in my foolishness, had proposed to my girlfriend on April Fool's Day, the, uh, the one day in the year where people in this country play tricks on each other. So, of course, the people we told just looked at us blankly, trying to work out, is this a joke or not? And they didn't react. There wasn't a reaction. Well, in Genesis 8, the opposite is the case here, isn't it? Because, amazingly, Noah's spontaneous outburst, you know, that outburst of worship, it is met by a reaction. It is met with a reaction. A reaction from, from God. Look what we're told. We're told that Noah, offer, he builds, builds the altar, he makes a sacrifice, and then what we told? God uh, smells the sweet aroma. And he promises, he makes that promise, you'll never flood the earth in, in that way again. Now, do you not think that is incredible? That, that God reacts, that he responds to man's worship often. That is incredible. He, you know, do, do you ever think about that when you come to church? You know, so you get the tube to church, so you jump in the car, whatever it is. Do you think that God responds to man's worship often? Now, if we think about that and we grasp that, that's going to change our worship services. That's going to change our heart when we come in here. That's going to colour everything we do. That if we come in here on a Sunday morning with a grateful heart, with a sincere heart, then that pleases God. It pleases the God, the eternal God of the universe. And he responds. But why? Why does he respond? What was it about Noah's offering that pleased God? What was it? Well, what sort of offering was it? Do you see it in verse 20? What sort of offering was it? It's a whole burnt offering. And folks, what we learn later on in Scripture is that an offering like this wasn't just a sort of offering of gratitude. It was also an offering to atone for sin. Friends, you know, yes, it pleases God when his people come in here with grateful and thankful hearts and worship him. But God is only pleased. He's only pleased with our worship if it comes to him through the ultimate atoning sacrifice when it comes to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So patient waiting and then prompt worship. And then finally, and just in closing, our point three, our our third heading is the perfect memory of the Lord. The perfect memory of the Lord. Now, one of the kind of curious things about the city that we live in, or one of the intriguing things about London, is that you can be sort of 
cutting about the city, you can be walking about Covent Garden, and you can turn a corner, and frequently you can just be met by a queue. There are queues everywhere in the city, whether it be a queue for a concert, or a queue for a One Direction premiere, or an audition, or whatever it is. There are queues all over the place. And in this third point, what I want to do is just draw your attention to two things. Okay. A vivid scene and a vivid expression. And the vivid scene is that of a cue. Because just picture with me the scene as this episode with the arc finishes. Please just try and envisage as all the sort of passengers disembark the ark. And do you see what happens? Noah comes out and his family and then what do we have? We've got all the creatures, we've got all the birds kind of following suit after Noah. And look at it, it's all just so way. It's also orderly, isn't it? Because we're told that the animals come out of the ark after Noah, and they come out one kind after another. It's kind of species by species. It's an orderly cube. You've got Noah, and then you've got everything else behind him. And they're all walking out to enjoy the renewed earth. So, a vivid scene. But I also just want to point out a vivid expression. And that is the expression that begins the chapter. So if your Bibles are open there, just have a look at the first phrase of the whole chapter. It's the phrase, but God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Well, what does that mean? Well, um, About ten days ago, our last house group meeting at the manse, we're going through a Bible study, and the Bible study book asked if we could sort of think of examples where we have forgotten something, you know, forgotten something important. So we, you know, you do what you do, and you sort of go around the room, and any sort of examples of of people have forgotten anything important. And there was a few buttes. Gabriel uh, came up with a butte because he had to confess to. Once having left his house and walked on a bit, only to realise that he'd forgotten to put his shoes on, which is a beauty. But you see the point. We have imperfect and we have failing memories. But what we're told here is that God remembered Noah. God remembered him. God has a perfect an unfailing memory. And he remembered Noah. Why? He remembered him because Noah was a righteous man. So friends, I would ask you just now, are you worried about the, the things that are coming up? You know, are you, are, are you worried about the things that are in your future? You know, the big things. Are you worried about your death even? Are you worried about your your, your salvation? Well, if you're a Christian, see here that God will 
remember you. God will remember those who are righteous in Jesus Christ. And you see, that is covenantal language. And in Scripture, when it says that God remembers someone, it doesn't mean that just God recalls their name. It means that God will act to bless you. And he will act to favor you. God remembered Noah. And we're going to end with this. This is the last thing. So if you can hear me over the noise, please hear this. Look at the parallel. Consider the parallel with this chapter. What have we got? Think about the big picture here. What have we got in Genesis chapter 8? I will tell you what we've got. We have a righteous man here. And a man who, in order to save and preserve and renew mankind, he has had to enter the darkness. He's had to enter the darkness of the ark and remain there until his father has called him out. Friends, in Jesus Christ, in order to save and preserve and renew mankind, we have one who was willing to enter the darkness. The darkness of death and remain there until he was brought into resurrected life by the will of the Father. And in Genesis 8, what happens? Well, the door of the ark, you know, imagine it. The door of the ark flings open and Noah steps out into the sunshine of this renewed earth. And what is he followed by? He's followed closely behind by everything in this orderly queue. Well, with Jesus Christ, it was the stone of the tomb that was rolled away. And he stepped forth into the sunshine as the first fruit of the resurrection to be followed closely behind by all of the people of God. The people of God following him into a new heavens and a new earth. Following him into a new beginning. Hey friends, I'll leave you with this. Will you be in that queue? Will you? Is your name etched upon the perfect memory of the Lord? Let's pray.